Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, this is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our Reasonable Voice today is Avery Summers. As most realize, our shortest month of the year, February, is Black History Month, and it's here. And my very dear Broadway film and television friend, Avery Summers, who joins us with updates and opinions once a month, is also here. You may recall from past shows, Avery's credits include, but are not limited to, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Matron Mama Morton in Chicago, Platinum Original Broadway Production, 1978, and Ain't Misbehavin', of course. And, of course, I should also mention working on television with the late Burt Reynolds. You may also recall my friend Avery Summers is an African-American female, senior citizen living in South Florida, so I guess it's going to be a full-bodied show, and we're going to be taking it from the intersection of Lincoln and Parks. Welcome back, Avery, to our monthly conversation, professional updates, personal opinions. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing very well, and thank you for that amazing intro. My gosh, every time we talk, it gets more and more glorious, <laughs> and I have to look around and say, who is he talking about? <laughs> well, it's you. It's you. I do try, because we're coming, we talk once a month, I do try to to say it a little differently, but there are just so many credits, you can't just, you know, ignore them. <laughs> so they keep rolling. But I do want to say that, um, not that we're locked into any strict formality here, but uh, I hope we're going to spend much of the first segment talking about the intersection of Lincoln and Parks. You know, almost every time I we talk, I hear a little more, a little tweak, a little change, a little potential, you know. And now, mm -hmm. as I understand, the Palm Beach Institute for the Entertainment Arts will be celebrating Black History Month by producing the original play, Intersection of Lincoln and Parks, on the Institute's yes. stage. And it's being directed yes. by our reasonable voice today, Avery Summers, and written and produced by Donna Carbone. So... Yes. 
Judging from the mind-tickling title, what does your production of Intersection of Lincoln and Parks ask those who see it to imagine? Well, it asks you to imagine that the last living relative of President Abraham Lincoln is a mate on the bus with Rosa Parks. As a matter of fact, she's sitting on the bus in the last available seat in the white section on the bus. And when this gentleman comes in, there's no other place for him to sit except beside her. And the bus driver gives her all kinds of grief about moving to the back of the bus. She says she is tired. She does not want to move to the back of the bus. And this gentleman says, that's quite all right. I am willing to sit beside this woman. And so he does. And from there, the conversation is really pretty wonderful. So that's what we ask the audience to suspend their belief and come on this journey with us as Rosa Parks talks to Mr. Todd Lincoln. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know I, lo- I love it. Even though you've told me that before. <laughs> I still sit here and I listen to you set it up and I go, wow. That has got to be a magnificent play. How are you in enjoying directing it? You're in rehearsals, of course, yes? Yes, yes, we are. I, I absolutely love it. I ask my students and my cast members to take the script and read, read, read. Mm. Because each time they read it, they find gems and nuggets in those words and how they want to interpret and I always tell them also that the only way that I can work with them is if they are off book which means if they know mm-hmm. their line mm-hmm. that way I can shape them because I don't like to put words in actors mouths I don't like for anyone to give me quote unquote a line reading mm-hmm. unless they are a new performer and they've tried it three or four times and they're not coming up with the way that I, as the director, feel that they should interpret it. And they will say, I don't get this. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. And then I will give them a line reading, which you know, of course, that's what that is. And so we do a lot of reading of the piece, even though my Rosa Parks is off book and has been for a week. She keeps discovering, and I always say, go back and say that to me again. Go back say it again, go back, say it again. And each time she smiles and says, oh, I see, Mm. I get it. Mm -hmm. And that is the exciting part of it all. (laughs) Don't you agree? I do, I do. And I'm going a quick story. When I was in high school, I guess, my parents would come home from work and they separate the laundry and then they drop me off at the laundromat and they go on to do the grocery shopping and by the time they get back the laundry is ready to come out of the dryer because my job is to to do that to move it from the washer to the dryer i still hate doing laundry yeah. to this day but uh, <laughs> but the point of that story is 
One day, I had a homework assignment to write something about a Shakespearean sonnet, or maybe it was John Donne, I can't remember, from my English teacher, and I had nothing to do while waiting for the laundry but read those 14 lines over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. And I wish I could find whatever it was I wrote, but my English teacher, (laughs) I was not bad in English by any means, but... She passed out everyone's paper, and I didn't get mine. I didn't know what was going on. And she stand, She says, I held one paper back. I want to read to you. And then she read my paper. I, uh, uh-huh. And the point is, she was so overwhelmed. But she was overwhelmed, I'm sure, because I did what you were teaching your actors to do and your students. I read it mm-hmm. and read it mm-hmm. and read it. And you see something, you know, every time, and suddenly you get layers. And uh, anyway, I just thought I'd share yes. that. I love it. I love <laughs> it. So I'm, I'm actually headed in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was certainly a moment I've never forgotten. That's for sure. But you know, in addition to directing this, you are narrating it too. How does that work? Yes, yes, I am narrating it. I am actually sort of the quote-unquote, the voice of reason, I'm giving a bit of background information about Rosa that very few people may know. She is really known for not getting up from her seat, but Rosa Parks was quite a woman. She advocated for African-American women way back, about 11 or 12 years before the bus incident. Mm -hmm. She had been on a committee to help women, African-American women specifically, who had been raped and whose offenders had never been caught, never even identified. And so she took it upon herself, along with her husband, who was a a member of the NAACP. And I don't say NAA because they never said that at Uh, that time. uh They always said NAACP. And he pushed her to realize her potential for helping in the community and the things that she thought were important. And he always said that you can do this. You have the voice, you have the the visibility amongst women to say the things that you want to say. So I'm giving a bit of an overview of information before we see Rosa Parks. And then she comes on and she tells a bit of her background about her grandparents and things like that and Mm -hmm. then we change scenes it's very sort of cinematic because we change scenes and then we see her on the bus Uh Uh, and then the conversation starts and that's where the play begins so it's it's really pretty wonderful i'm singing a little bit also in this Hmm. some protesters in this we this show is sort of action-packed in about an hour and 15 minutes. There's a lot to digest. There's a lot to understand. There are some important moments in it. There there are no comedy moments in this because this was not a comedy. This was a very serious situation, as you know. But I decided that I wanted to start it off with just a little bit of an acapella version of Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, Since I Laid My Burden Down. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you know that or if your audience knows that song. It's an old, quote-unquote, Negro spiritual. And it just says, glory, glory, hallelujah, since I laid my 
burdened down. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Since I laid my burden down. You know, I have to say, and I've heard you sing many times, but that was really beautiful. You know, what are you doing that you can just pop it off like that? I mean, (laughs) that was beautiful. It had this ping. Well, thank you for that surprise. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm thrilled about this. I'm thrilled to be able to be involved in this. Uh, This was a, I may have mentioned to you a while back, it was a 10-minute scene that was written for Mr. Burt Reynolds' class. And one night, uh, everyone had done their work, and and Bert said, "Is there anything else? Anyone else?" And so Donna piped up, and she said, "Well, I've got this ten-minute scene that uh, mm. we can work on if you'd like." And he said, "Well, yes, let's try it." So that's what he did. And I read Rosa Parks at the time, uh-huh. and uh, so then finally he said, "Wow, this is really good. You should expand this." And, oh, wow. But years went by. Years went by because there was never any time to do anything about that. And then this past year, during COVID, Donna called and she said, I'm very interested in thinking about Rosa Parks again. Mm -hmm. And I asked her to please write a prologue and an epilogue to it. And so that's what she did. And we've expanded it and brought in more information. And that's where we are. Wow. Wow, that is a great story, because that's really, that's quite something for anyone to, for someone like him, you know, to be in his class in the first place, and then to read it and say, you need to, you need to go forward with this and, and enhance, that is fantastic. You have a, um, a new Lincoln, and what happened, and, and how's that going? Yes, we have a new Lincoln. Actually, this man is really more age-appropriate. The young man who was going to do it, and I do mean young, he's 22 years old, but uh, he decided that he wanted to go to California Mm. uh, to really sort of delve into film and modeling because he's really a very handsome young man, but he's also a really good actor. And we had him in the class and he read, and he just read so beautifully without any directing at all and there are some people who just are really really intuitive and Mm -hmm. so he read but then he decided that he would be gone and he he left just after Christmas to go out to California so when we thought about it again Donald said well what about Dave Barnhart Dave is tall he's lean he's older he's done pieces with us before and so we both said all right we asked him about it he said May I see the script? And I'd like to think about it. And he did. Mm. He said, I think I would love to do this part. Yes. So he's had the script, and we started rehearsing on Monday with him last Monday. As I said, the Rosa Parks young lady is already off book. She was very serious about doing this piece a long time ago, last summer when we asked her about it, mm-hmm. and when we had the other young man. And so she has learned it practically verbatim, which I really love. Mm. And so Dave now is doing an excellent job of catching up, but he is catching up. We've got two more weeks that we will be doing rehearsal every day, and so he's going to be just fine. But he's, yeah, he's he's age-appropriate, and and everything about him is exactly right. Fantastic. When does it open? 
we open on Thursday, the 25th of February. And it's going to be at the it's Palm a, Beach Institute, yes? Yes, that's correct, Palm Beach Institute. And it will run Thursday through Sunday, that week of February, and Thursday through Sunday, the next week, will be, which will be the first week of March. Yes. All right, well, we'll come back to that, too, and remind everyone at the end of the show how they can get tickets, you know, and, and just uh, nail it down for everyone. But for right now, I'm just wondering, th this is so... I mean, you know how I love new plays, new scripts. It's something I did a lot of in New York, and I love it when I hear people who are developing a new script and doing these wonderful things. It's always exciting because theater has to grow. It has to evolve. You have to create new yeah. work and new audiences. But anyway, don't let me get too carried away. But uh, is it going to be videoed? Any chance? It will be videoed, but it will only be for our archives. It won't be for sale at this point. Okay. No one else will see it. We need it, you know, for our class. We study the things that the actors want to see themselves. They want to, I ask them to please, you know, look at it with a critical eye when they are viewing these things so that they can know what things they can improve upon. Not necessarily that anyone ever does anything wrong, but there's always room for improvement. Okay. I'll try and get a sneak mm -hmm. peek out of you some point in the future. You, <laughs> you speak of your students, of course, and I know you are teaching. How is that going, and how are the classes, and how excited are they to see you in action? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that they are very excited. I must, uh, you know, uh, digress for a moment. They came to see me when I did my show in December, several of them came to yes. see me, and they were just bowled over. It was as though they didn't realize that I actually do something in this business. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were just thrilled, and they're still talking about, oh my gosh, what a wonderful show that was. So uh, a lot of them actually do not know that I'm involved in this as an actor. Mm -hmm. uh, they do know that I'm directing it, but they are going to be, you know, I think hopefully delightfully surprised yes. when they see me in this and actually get the opportunity to hear me sing again and narrate this piece. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm enjoying it. I actually will start my first new Monday night class tonight. And uh, that's a five-week class, as you know. And then yes. the second part of that is the monologue class, which is a five-week class. And those, those Monday night students will roll over to the Wednesday class. And then from there, they roll over to the Friday class, which is character development and looking for new pieces to do in a show. And you do this in your studio, is it West Palm Beach? Yes, uh -huh. this is the Palm Beach Institute, and yes. it's, in, it's in what is known as North Palm Beach. Okay, mm -hmm. then. Thanks for that correction. Listen, <laughs> we're going to take a short break. This is fabulous. Uh, we're, we're going to take a break. We're speaking to my good Broadway television and film star friend, Avery Summers. We have her back at least once a month to talk about a lot of things. And there are a couple more questions I want to ask about her new show. But we're going to talk about a lot of things in the second segment. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Avery Summers. Hello, I'm Sue Friedman former president and CEO of the Alzheimer's Association Central and Western Virginia chapter, and currently the executive director of the Jefferson School Foundation, which owns and manages the Jefferson School City Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. In both positions, 
I have wisely chosen to employ Marcello Orlando's talents and gifts as advisor, consultant for projects involving our boards, membership supporters, and our larger circle of extended associates. In every case, his advice has proven to be sound, clear, and actionable. In addition, as an on-camera director and teacher, he has directed and produced a number of publicity, marketing, and branding videos, and doing so has proven his expertise in working with professionally experienced video production crews, as well as his uncanny ability and patience when working with a non-actor, performer, spokesperson to produce the most favorable branding products. After the production completes filming, his keen, detail-oriented director's eye guides editors on his team to an informative and emotionally impactful finished product. If you need more to engage this talented professional, let me add that I, like many, have been a guest on Marcello's podcast, The Reasonable Voices, with exceptional results. Thank you for this opportunity. This is Sue Friedman encouraging you to contact Marcello Rolando. To engage Marcello Rolando, please call 202-715-0020 or email him at marcello at marcellorolando.com. And remember, both Marcello and Rolando are spelled with two L's. For more information, visit www.marcellorolando.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is Broadway TV film friend Avery Summers. We have been talking a great deal about the new show she's been working on. She's both directing and narrating, and the title is Intersection of Lincoln and Parks. I love the title. It is written and produced by Donna Carbone, and in its 10-minute version, for those just tuning in, was seen by Burt Reynolds in one of his acting classes in which Avery attended, and he thought it was a great idea to enlarge it, and it now is having a run at the Palm Beach Institute for the Entertainment Arts in North Palm Beach. Any future plans for intersection of Lincoln and Parks? Anything in the wind there? Any potential venues? Hopefully, uh, I have actually talked with some people at the Kravis, uh who we spoke with early last year, meaning 2020, and of course things were closed down then, yeah. uh, and then I subsequently went into the Kravis and did my one-woman show there, and during that set of conversations, I spoke with them about the intersection of Lincoln and Parks, and they're very interested about the idea of it. It may not be this season, it may be subsequent seasons, mm -hmm. but at any time that it can be reproduced at a larger venue, it's a good time, yes. as you know. Absolutely. And so we're very excited about that, the opportunity for the senior programmer at the Kravis to come see the show is there. We're not going to tell the cast. We don't want them no. to change their performance just because someone is coming. Yes. And you know what that means exactly. also. Exactly. So, um, yes, he will come, and it's going to be probably on a Sunday matinee. So he's got two Sundays. I've got a call in, in to him today 
to speak with him about what his possibilities are, and so I'm very excited about that. I'm not revealing names because they don't they don't want me to reveal their okay. names, but. I think you probably know who I'm speaking about. I do, but <laughs> it's safe. To, <laughs> it's safe with me. I won't say a word. But you know, I, I, I want to go back to something else uh, since you brought up Kravis that we were talking about at the end of the last segment, and that is your students, because I've run into this too. Students are used to you as a teacher, and you teach them these wonderful things, and they love learning them and doing them. It doesn't quite compute to them judging from what you've said and what I've experienced too, that you actually do this for a living. <laughs> so when they when they see you, they they're always so shocked. <laughs> but they did they did see you. Many of your students saw you at the Kravis in your show and yes. for sentimental reasons, right? Well this was a a reimagined version of for sentimental reasons which you saw but this was a sort of reimagined version of it because I was working on a new show to go into the Kravis this year. And of course, last year, when things shut down in 2019, let me go back, 2019, I had been asked about doing my show in 2020. And then at the very beginning of the year, in March, when things shut down, my writing partner and I, Dana Rowe, who you met in yes. New York, we decided that we would wait a bit and not put too much effort into the new show, which was a blue, gospel blue show. So when I was asked to come into the Kravis sort of on short notice, mm -hmm. I said, oh my gosh, well, I'm not working on that show anymore. And I was told that that's quite all right. You can reimagine your old show. So that's yeah. what we did. Ah. And so that show, that show then became an evening uh, with Avery Summers. That's ah. what it became. Okay. Well, it was great, I'm mm -hmm. sure. I'm mm -hmm. going to shift a little bit. Um, I, I know I'm not catching you off guard, but what do you <laughs> think about having a Black History Month? I mean, recently I had an opportunity to tell Avery that some things seem to be different this year in a, in a positive way, and I just wonder what's the impact of Black History Month from your point of view? What's its impact on America, if any? Does it make any real difference? Is it is it real, or is it simply superficial? What are your thoughts? Well, thank you for asking. It's a very interesting take for me. I tell you, it started when we were both a bit younger, so I was excited about that. Now, as I've gotten a bit more mature, it doesn't seem to have the same excitement for me because the country is not the same. When we originally talked about Black History Month, we were coming off of the wonderfulness of Dr. Martin Luther King. And all of us, or at least in my mind, we were very excited and we were moving forward in our thoughts about our country and how we black people, African Americans, whomever, whatever we were called at the time, could contribute to this country and how we could be recognized in this country for the things that we brought to bear. But in subsequent years, and certainly in the last three or four or five years, our accomplishments have been minimized and not accepted as the good that I thought that we were going to celebrate. So I now am not excited about Black History Month. 
I want black history, period, end of sentence. See, that's where I come in. It seems to me this this year, this Black History Month, there is more going on, at least online, making people aware. But I come down with Morgan Freeman, who said, no, I'm not impressed with it. Do you? When is White History Month? I know, and I said, you know, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you just alluded to. This is some, another issue. This whole thing of all the things you've been called people trying to, white people, I guess, trying to find, how do we label these people? Negro, and then it was, what came after that? And then finally, African-American is, what? what is with that? Is it just, we don't know what to say? Can we just, or, or, or do we need to learn how to just forget about labels and just say her, she, him, you know, John? Right, yes. What are your thoughts? Yes, yes. I- I understand exactly what you're saying, and I and I, we were Afro-Americans at one time. That's we right. Were That's the one. Negroes. Yeah. Uh, we were, you know, the the N-word, so to speak, at yes. one time, and everybody was just so concerned about how to address us and and what should we say? How about just calling me Avery? Yes, that works. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and 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 it's very true, and it's 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 not us. Uh, quote unquote black people oh yeah we we were black at one time and then we were uh, you know uh, black Africans uh, I tell you honestly it, it made my head spin mm. because I was just it, it even took me by surprise who what would someone call me today what would I have to respond to and how would I you know should I blink my eyes should I bob my head should, what should I do should I uh, uh, dance on a dime uh, what 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 it, it makes me a little animated I'm very animated today about this mm. uh, as you can tell yes. because it is it's an affront finally here we are in all these many many years later and we still are having to deal with these issues that I think should have gone with the way of the West mm. you know mm-hmm. they should be gone by now but they're not and there are those people whose uh, ability to to set my teeth on edge, as my sister Betty would say, and you know Betty oh, very yes. well. Oh, yes. But it's that kind of thing that makes me, you know, I, for lack of a better word, makes me very animated and, and close to being angry because I am at the point where I am tired of having to dance to the music of someone else's beat. Mm-hmm. We are hungry in this country, all of us now I'm speaking, all of us are hungry to just have people treat us well, all of us. This mm-hmm. includes black people, brown people, white people, people from other countries, other generations, that we just want to be treated well and, and, and not with stipulations and not with caveats and all of that sort of stuff. I'm going on. No, this is good. And it's good because we don't, well, too much of America now is in its own bubble. We all know that. But to find someone who has to live with a certain issue or issues every single day, every waking moment, every morning you walk out the door, that you have to face this list of things that are different from what others have to face or deal with, it needs to be talked about and it needs to be aired and I'm glad you did animated or not so there <laughs> something else that's been going on that's very troubling and I know it's it's 
it's in the moment, but and maybe it's just because so much has been lost, including life in 2020 because of COVID-19. But does it seem to you in 2021 already we are losing a record amount of of giants that we, you and I, grew up with wanting to work with and know and meet and do something with? Is it just my imagination, or is is that list longer than usual for just what, oh my a month? gosh. Yes, yes. It seems that it's longer than usual. You're right. I just don't know. I mean, Cecily Tyson, for heaven's sake, and Cloyce Leachman, yes, Christopher Cloris Plummer. Leachman. Yeah. Yes, Hal Holbrook. That's right. Larry King. Yes. And even here in, in my hometown, a wonderful woman that we call the First Lady of Musical Theater, and I think you know Jan yes. McCart. Yes. I never worked with Jan. But our paths mm-hmm. crossed many times. I met her from time to time, mm-hmm. just in passing at various events or whatever. For instance, she taught at Lynn University long after yeah. I did, but I taught at Lynn University. The first drama class, I think, and I'm pretty certain it was the first because I remember the theater had been built but was only a shell of a place, concrete, and was being used as a storage facility. And they put me in a, ni- in a nice, I had a nice room, you know, a, a smaller theater, lecture hall sort of thing, and we did some good work. But yes, she and I, our paths had crossed. But tell us about what your relationship was, and your, did, you, did you ever work with her, Jan McCart? Yes, actually, I did. Jan did a piece with, she actually did a piece, she had a theater in... West. Yes, I remember. And that. I'm not familiar with. You remember that? Yes, I do. I have never went there. I mean, I've been to Key West, but I didn't go to the theater there. Well, she had this cute little theater there, and it was a little black box theater. And she would, you know, produce new pieces such as what we're talking about now with Lincoln and Parks. And uh, it was called the, the Prince of Central Park, and she produced it down there and brought it up to Miami, yes, and she was in it, in a, a cameo role in the piece, and I was asked to do that piece, and I worked with her and met her, and that goes back, I will bet you, 20 years. Yes. So I met her then, and that's when she just sort of, the, the, the word that people used for Jan was, she was so sweet and kind. Mm. That's what everybody said about her in just these last week or so that she passed away. Every person said how sweet and kind she was. And I tell you, it's the truth because she, she first of all had an uncanny knack for remembering everybody's name, Marcello. Everybody. And you know how wonderful it is when people can remember your name. Yes. Oh yes, of course. And so she was able to do that, but she just would look you in the eye, and she would just talk with just you, and that just, it, it was, just put the shine on the whole conversation mm-hmm. with She would look at me and say, oh, I just think you're wonderful, and she always came to my cabaret shows in the Royal Room in the Colony Hotel on Palm Beach when I was there, yes. and I was there for a lot of years, and she came on opening nights, and she would come again and bring people, and she would always say, oh, she's just so wonderful, and she would tell people. And it just, it, it's something that is, it, it makes my heart happy to have been a part of having known her 
yes. over these years because she's been around for a very, very long time. Yes. Very long time. Well, she'll definitely be missed and, and greatly appreciated and, and remembered every time we see you are involved in a great performance, that's for sure. You know, mm-hmm. what's with you and holidays? I have a thing for holidays, but it's very different. I plan my life around them, you know, when I'm trying to remember something or have set a goal. Okay, by Valentine's Day, we'll do this and by whatever. But what's tell me what's your issue with holidays, especially Thanksgiving? I do have an issue with Thanksgiving, by the way. But what's yours? Well, <laughs> my issue with, with Thanksgiving and, and, and most holidays too, but my issue with, with Thanksgiving is everyone gets so sweet and so oh we've got to feed the hungry Mm. and we've got to do this and this and I always ever since I was a small child could not understand why it was just sort of designated to one day and you feed these people for the one day and maybe for another day Mm. but then these same quote-unquote people go hungry the rest of the year and nobody makes a big deal about that Mm. and I just I just really dislike Thanksgiving because of that, because it's so commercialized and it's on TV and we're giving away turkeys and we're giving away stuffing and all of these kinds of things. And you can only eat one meal a day that is that big. But what about tomorrow? What about next week when people are hovering in doorways and they're hungry? What about that? That is what gives me, you know, pause. And what about school lunches and uh, and school after school meals especially when kids aren't going to school uh, you know we mm-hmm. see some teachers are going out of their way to work with cafeterias and get it to their students homes i mean that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing we're looking for my issue with mm-hmm. thanksgiving is a little more political well a lot more political than in yours is a lot more humanitarian let's be real people every day but it does smack of superficial Symbolism, as we were saying earlier mm-hmm. about having one month out of the year be Black History Month. But my thing about Thanksgiving is that it's all a lie, you know. The Native Americans are the ones who brought the food, you know, to the white Europeans. Otherwise, they wouldn't have survived mm-hmm. the winter. But all right, okay. We've said our piece on that, I guess. But uh, why is it that people who need the COVID vaccine, because I get this from both sides, both from my friends of color and my friends of paler, (laughs) but why are not more minorities, but also, by the way, a lot of healthcare givers, hospital doctors, professionals are not taking the vaccine. What do we need to do and what's happening? Do you have any thoughts on that? I know that's a wide range, but go ahead. Yes, I do. It is a wide range, but but I, I do have from what I can gather from the few people that I speak with on a regular basis, they're pretty frightened, quite honestly, that these vaccines have been manufactured so quickly. Uh. And I think that's certainly not just African-Americans. I think that's everybody pretty much across the board until it became available. And and, uh, it was like, okay, this is happening. But why can't we get vaccines for cancer? Why can't we get the kinds of service that we need for radiation, for all other kinds of things? Why are we fast-tracking this 
And the thing that is the fast track is money. Uh. It's money. That's what I'm hearing. It's money. If there was the kind of money thrown at vaccines for other things, as it has been for COVID, then I believe we would fast track these things. But these other diseases and issues have been around for years and years and years, and they're just doing maintenance. Mm. They're doing maintenance. They're not doing cures. And the other thing about this is there are now three companies with this COVID vaccine, and each one of them says, I've got the one. I've got the one. This is the one right here, mm-hmm. right here, like they're hawking some sort of thing at a carnival. Yes. And everybody is jumping on that bandwagon or whatever. And people have asked me, am I going to take it or am I going to wait or whatever? I'm diabetic, so I, and I don't bring that up often, but I'm going to my doctor in a week and we're going to have a real discussion about what the possibilities are of that for me as a diabetic before I just get in line and have somebody give me a vaccine. I want some more information. And two things, if I could add to that. Number one, there are people in their 80s and 90s standing in line for hours, which Mm -hmm. is not something that should be happening. So there is that issue. And then there's also, it was pointed out to me by our caregiver for my parents. She said to me more than once, and she was African-American, and she would say, you know, she could see differences in the way her people, as she put it, were being treated as opposed to my parents. And I, I never quite understood that. And yet, well, why don't you tell me, have you experienced that? Have you seen that? Has it happened to you? So I think what I understand you to say is all black people, African-Americans, feeling that we are being sort of guinea pigs, one thing, and the, and the vaccines are being held back. From us, is that what I'm understanding yes. your question? Yes. The holding back is oh, what right. I'm really talking about, that you don't get the same kind of medical priority. Well, overall, I, I would say that that is correct. The only thing that I can say in defense of that now is that I have a friend who goes to a traditional African-American church, and she and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and she said, oh, my gosh things are moving pretty fast here. They've come to our church and they have made an announcement that they are going to be vaccinating anyone in our church who is of a, the, the appropriate age and uh, they will come, they will set up in the church parking lot and you can get your vaccination there and you will be able to just sit for 20 minutes to half an hour to find out if there is an adverse reaction or anything. And I've heard since then that it went very well. People came out in droves. They were vaccinated. There's no reaction that had been, and I believe this was the very first Moderna maybe or whatever it was. But that's what I know now. But I think traditionally African-American people have just been, there have been so many studies of things that have happened to women, black women, young women, African-Americans over the years that have been studies done, you know, let's give this group of people this kind of thing, 
and we will study the reaction. Oh, yes. uh, and I believe that now that generation of them is even my age or older and are saying, no, I am not going to be a guinea pig. No, I'm not going to be the first one to take this. I would like there to be more study before I take it. Okay. Well, I hear you, and I hope we are moving in the, the best possible direction for everyone. I, we're going to have to run, Avery. It's been exceptional, as always, to have a conversation with you and to learn and to be made aware. You know, I often say to you, it's, I think I know something, and, and, I, and I do, <laughs> but you forget because when you don't have to deal with it every day, it kind of fades in the memory, and if there was ever a justification for one month in the year, it's because we are reminded. That, to me, is the only positive thing I want to say. If we're reminded, at least for that 28 days, but the idea is to then act differently, to live differently, to behave differently with one another for the rest of the year. But, okay, tell us about the intersection of Lincoln and Parks, particularly how one can get tickets and where it's going to be and other takeaway you want us to have. Well, yes, thank you for giving me this opportunity. The number to call if you are in the area is area code 561-743-9955, and that is the Palm Beach Institute for the Entertainment Arts. We are very excited about this piece. I am directing. It is written by Donna M. Carbone, and we open on the 25th of February. It will run Thursday through Sunday, that week of February, and Thursday through Sunday, the next week, which will be the first week of March. Yes. So thank you very, very much, Marcello, for giving me this opportunity to promote our new show. Absolutely my pleasure. I know it's going to be fabulous. And then you'll come on next month and tell us all about it. How's that? I, I love <laughs> it. I will do that. Thank you. Well, thank you again, uh, Avery. And uh, love you dearly. You know that. And wishing you all the best. And uh, we'll be talking, I'm sure. Okay? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, darling. You got it. Bye now. Bye-bye. And so it is. And now, Broadway's Avery Summers.
Come blow your horn, start celebrating. Right this way, your table's waiting. Don't just Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. February, month of heart, health, black history, and Valentine's Day. Ever love someone so much you hold them so closely you feel yourself melding into them? If not, then it's time to embrace the whole truth. Why cardiovascular disease is America's leading cause of death? how half-truths rot the whole, and discovering the cure and recapturing a Valentine's joie de vivre for two. Sometimes silently sharing a sun-warmed bench and coffee is as crystallizing as a warm fire and wine conversation. However, time waits for neither man nor woman, because connection, like time, is more finite than infinite. Because in the heat of foreign battle, local road rage and executive treason, death and destruction are indiscriminate, and timing remains divine. Courage is seeking loving communion in the face of a new winter's dawn, while tenacity is continually tilting mind, body, and spirit ever closer to the bright sunshine of civil discourse, before our most hope-filled rays of daylight hours release us with a nip, slipping us into a less chaotic future of refreshing renewal possibilities, saturated with hearts beating in unison, in an as yet barely imagined breath longing to nibble at our ear, begging only this one plea, even if it's too soon to hear and too late to listen, attend. For the greatest criminal delusions of February, one, 28 days can emancipate our Obamacare story. Two, believing hidden history texts left to pale faces masquerading as Cupid while massacring a nation's global loving. Three, once a year flowers can sweeten a box of chocolates life filled with heartless touching neglect. Myopic TV news media, too often casting us as background to their noise, must first make all fall for puppeteers peddling disruptive distractions before staining our discerning gray matter with heartbreak. Ultimately, however, after flatlining on a Trump-Pence administration, all but rendering us brain-dead, we are the only defibrillator paddles that can restart America's Good Samaritan heartbeat. However, Although a willing ally, time cannot always remain on our side if we willingly side with the ignorance of denial, bigotry, and hate over faith in civility, unifying hope, and love thy neighbor as thyself. With tax breaks for the wealthiest, putting Mulvaney's boot on the necks of Americans struggling from paycheck to paycheck, there is no time to stand between shrinking tax returns and shutdown encore without each other. Before a braggadocious Goliath shell pitching at fever pitch, 
ice-cold-hearted orders ordering unnatural emergencies, filling neighborhoods, borders, and penal rooms with racial venom, full security, and an absence of parental hugs and kisses. When cabinet heads, attorneys, and executives can't tell the difference between blackmail and threats, payoffs and campaign contributions, or catch and kill from caught on camera, then maybe we the people should be knocking on the outhouse of whites-only supremacy asking, why are billionaires happiest during POTUS executive time? When in our heart we know we've done the very best we can, letting go is not defeat, but the realization that talking alone is too expensive. To reach more who will listen, we must listen more, for not even reason is a match for those who choose to be unreasonable. While Einstein was probably intellectually skewed toward nature enough to reason as go the bee's knees, so too will those with aspirin between their knees depart, still in denial of how much they aided and abetted the arrogance, greed, and stupidity that diminishes love and life. Is it too late to save love of life by blocking potentially fractured pipelines of fracked gas and heeding the increasing repetitive speed connecting mounting floods with mudslides and sinkholes? Even in the shortest month, overflowing with rediscovered overdue exchanges of loving unions of every kind, we have been given enough time to grasp we need more than medical, historic, and loving-like denial to reach America's promised land dream. Remembering adrenaline is most positive and best enjoyed when shared, true love makes every day Valentine's Day. While there is time, Embrace in heartfelt compassion and passionately pursue a life of self-evident truths, loving our neighbor's history as much as we love the one we hold in our arms at the end of the day, even if only in our memories. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.